Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Mm -hmm. Today we are going to be talking Unit 10 in Arizona with Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. We're also going to uh, go over some of the antelope options for the 2017 uh, Arizona uh, draw coming up here February 14th. Uh, Craig, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, Jay. How are you doing? Oh, doing good. You know, it was. Um, we've got several things to talk about here. First, uh, first is um, we just uh, you were able to come up for a day and and spend some time with uh, Hunter and Dara and I up at the SCI convention. Uh, first and foremost, I would like to ask you. Uh, what's your overall thoughts? Never having been to that SCI convention, uh, what'd you think? Uh, it was dang sure uh, a neat. I haven't been to a show in a while since I stopped doing a magazine, and I hadn't been to the SCIs like you said. But um, is I mean, predominantly, I don't know. It seemed like fifty, sixty percent of of the booths were you know africa europe um i seen a poland i mean which is i guess part of europe but just it's amazing uh how many different um overseas hunting opportunities there is um and definitely you know obviously the price point to get into that show is a lot more expensive than you know say your ise or you know even the western hunting expo so it was pretty cool. It was a pretty good experience. You know, you had your, your, a lot of your name brands were Oski's eye, you know, on your optics. And, um, so it, it was, it was dang sure pretty neat, um, to see all that. I mean, it's definitely an older, a little bit older demographic. Um, I think cause you know, because of the price point, um, uh, maybe more guys looking for those, you know, overseas type hunts. Um, never seen so many giant high fence whitetail in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah, some they, of them looked like they were like red stags. They had points going everywhere. Six eighteen <laughs> or something like that. It was six eighteen. Is like, I mean, after three hundred inches, can you even? I mean, it it was. I mean, they all blended in, of course, because I'm not into high fence stuff and. They, I mean, it was cool at first to look at them, and then as you look, walk by the, like, five or six booths that were, you know, that had all those whitetail, you're like, man, they all look the same to me, you know? The one that stood out to me was the Fair Chase Kansas one with, the, like, the 140 to 180 typicals, you know, that you could tell weren't genetically engineered, um, you know? But, I mean, to each his own. Uh, and, and that was just kind of the, the mounts were cool. There were some cool mounts um, at the show. Um, it wasn't as busy as I thought it was going to be, but it was Thursday. Um, it's funny you get at the shows and you talk to a few people, and you know you eat lunch, and then before you know it, it's it's over with. You know, and it, like the day's gone. Yeah, it goes and, by fast uh, for sure. You know, um, and, my my thoughts on SCI are the kind of the same as yours. I think it's it's an amazing show. It's it's a giant show. It's the largest show that I, that I, that I go to as far as booths and numbers of booths and numbers of people. 
um, you know, and all of the Africa stuff and all of the overseas stuff to me is mind blowing because it what it does is it 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 shows that there's people all over the world that are really passionate about hunting the game that's on their continent or in their country or in their state. And you see the, the, the professional hunters, the guides, the outfitters, and the hunters in general, they're over there talking about, you know, a crocodile or a zebra or a leopard or stuff that, you know, I've never even thought of hunting. But if I lived where they live, I would be just as fired up about, you know, trying to, um, you know, hunt those animals. And so I, I think it's easy. The first time I ever went there, I thought, oh, it's just Africa stuff and it's just, you know, Europe. And, 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 then, I, yeah. and then I think, wait a minute, we're all fired up about mule deer and elk and antelope and, and, and coos deer and bighorn sheep. Well, that's because those animals live here on our continent. If I was over in a place where, uh, you know, uh, tur and, you know, Spanish goats and, you know, whatever, crazy stuff, uh, what I think is crazy stuff, if that was the everyday animal, you know, roe deer and, and red deer and stuff, then, then I would be into that. I would be, uh, you know, phone scoping and, and showing my photos of, you know, check out this red stag, check out this roe deer, you know, this awesome buck. And so it's just different. I, I think for me, the only thing that I don't like about SCI is exactly what you're saying. And that is the high fence, white tail, genetically modified, you know, like, um, you know, we can get in. It's it's not even worth in this discussion yeah, whether it's, it's hunting or not hunting. Slope. But to me, that is the only portion that I just I I just I don't like. Um, I don't yeah. like you know the the three four hundred inch whitetails, non typicals, and they're behind a high fence. I I've always had a problem with that mentality of you know put something behind a high fence and and um you know, then, then genetically modify and, you, you know, use steroids and, and, you know, inject your deer and this, that, and the other, um, you know, I'm seeing some in Mexico, a, a lot of the flats ranches down by Hermosillo are going to this high fence, you know, um, uh, trapping, you know, 20 or 30 does and putting them in one pen with some big giant buck and then letting the does out and, I, I'm not a proponent of any of that, um, mm-hmm. and I don't like that portion of SCI, but there's a lot of great stuff. SCI as an organization does probably more conservation work with dollars than any, probably than a lot of them all combined together. So yeah. while I think there's some things that I don't really like, they do a lot of good, and I, I think I've changed over the years to look at that and realize what a great um, deal SCI is for hunters across this world. And, you know, the other thing is, yeah, the first time I went to the SCI convention, I see a lot of guys with a lot of money, and they're spending a lot of money, and I snubbed my nose, and I looked down yeah. on that. And that's a whole nother conversation, but it comes back to 
just because someone has is better off than me doesn't mean that they're a bad person or that just because they are worth hundreds of millions of dollars you know what I mean? And it's easy, I hey, think, as, as a human to be like, oh, well, they're just rich. Well, you know, I'm rich compared to someone else and someone else is, is rich compared to me. And, you know, there's this it's it's it, yeah, I think there are some guys that go to these deals and they try and measure up and, you know, flaunt what they've got. And that's their own issues. But, you know, I, I've enjoyed going to the SCI convention over the years. And it's it's just something that. uh I love going and seeing the passion of worldwide hunters um, that just love, you know, whether it's Americans, you know, going overseas to hunt animals they've never, you know, they've never encountered. I think that's fantastic. And it, it, it was great um, to meet up with old friends and um, it was it was a fun show. Yeah, you're definitely like the mayor there. The um, mayor. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the, the cool part about I mean, all that other crap who, you know, as far as like, you know, whether you're jealous of somebody that has more money than you or has this, I mean, that's, that's typical. And then, you know, the high fence stuff, I mean, pretty much you can see who that is, what that is, you know, it is what it is. And I just, I don't even worry about that stuff anymore. But as far as like the European stuff or, you know, overseas stuff, that's, you know, kind of the fair chase and the cultural stuff. It's, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, I always think I'm, I always relay a lot of stuff to myself, to my dad and, you know, and, and the, the mentality that of, of we are the only person or only people that matter is really, is really ignorant. And it's sometimes what we get stuck in. Um, and you know, like you said, if, if we we were very blessed just to be born where we are, and and it's it's amazing that when we see that, it's kind of like, man, who wants to hunt a crocodile, you know? But when you really put it in perspective, if you were born there, you were raised there. It's that's their culture, you know, and that's what they do. And if we were there, that's what we'd be doing. We're just lucky and blessed to be born here, you know, and it's, it's just amazing. So when you see it from that perspective, you kind of, you get out of your ignorant way of thinking and you're like, man, that's kind of cool. I've hunted with, um, I just, we just got done hunting. I wasn't hunting with them, but I hunted with them before. Just got done hunting with two Polish guys that live over here in the United States, um, on predator hunts. And I hunted with a couple from New Zealand. And then I just got an email from a guy from Denmark and the one thing that fascinates me about guys that are, are from overseas that, that come here to hunt, one animal, like, is, whereas a lot of guys in the United States, they, they want to kill, like, as many as they can, um, as far as coyotes or bobcats or boss or whatever. Those guys, when they kill an animal it's a celebration. It is a huge accomplishment to them. And it really, you know, I was thinking about this the other night. It, it almost embarrasses me. Um, because we're so like a little bit spoiled, you know what I mean? To them, like 
the guy that emailed me from Denmark, he's talking about a gray fox as a as a huge, you know, trophy and accomplishment to him. And I mean, this last guy, I mean, he wanted all the skulls plus the furs. I mean, he was going to boil the skulls himself. I mean, it, it they're grateful. You know what I mean? And, and I think sometimes because, you know, and I'm just speaking for myself, I, I find myself not, not grateful. You know what I mean? I'm not taking for granted of, yeah. Of what I, yeah, I take it for granted. And, you know, these guys are emailing me and I'm like, and, and you kind of learn like, it's cool. It is freaking cool to watch a guy actually get pumped because he kills a great fox. And whereas I grew up doing it, and to me, it's like, that's oh, a great fox. You know what I mean? And I, I, think I, have a, I think I have a crappy perspective sometimes. That's just being honest. So. Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, another thing I'd like to bring up um, is what a game last night. I know you've been a Patriots fan as long as I've ever known you. And you've caught a lot of flack for it, i got to be honest, but you've taken it sometimes well and sometimes not as well. And I, I, I understand both scenarios, um, but you're a fan, and I, I didn't really care. I, I, didn't ha- I, I, I don't like either team. It's not like I don't like them. I, I, I pull for the Cardinals. So, I mean, it's like um, I didn't really care, but I tell you, when New England got down – um, my wife and I, we just kind of started cheering for it. We like, we kind of like underdogs and, um, not that new England would ever be an underdog, but we kind of just started cheering for new England just cause they were so down and Atlanta, everything had gone right for Atlanta in the first half. And I have to say, I mean, that was an amazing comeback. Um, and you can say whatever you want about Tom Brady, but he's a winner and it, you know, I don't think there were many other teams. I don't think there were many other quarterbacks in the history of the NFL that could have done what they what they did. And I just got to say, you know, well done, you know, well played. And it just goes to show you never, ever give up. I, I, I don't know. I told my wife, I said, how many times do I have to learn never give up i mean we we almost turned the channel and for whatever reason we kept watching and it just goes to show you can never give up i mean people would have bet hundreds of thousands of dollars and they probably did at halftime that they would not come back and they did yeah it was uh uh i've been a Patriots fan, I mean, how we're getting on this subject, but for a, for a while, I mean, I used to be a Bears fan when I was a little tiny kid, um, and then somewhere around when Drew Bledsoe um, was drafted by the Patriots, I was really into collecting cards, and Bledsoe was the man, and I can remember, I, I turned into a Patriots fan then, and I can remember when he was taken out, in, or, or Brady was in there and Bledsoe got healthy and I was like man put Bledsoe back in and you know just over the years I just become going I don't know I, I just I love the Patriots and I love their organization and you know I, I think Tom Brady is a winner like you said I think he's the ultimate underdog 
Um, I think, you know, and with all the stuff that's gone on over the last couple of years, I just, I mean, I just, you just start freaking liking your team even more. And I catch so much crap. There, I mean, <laughs> get to the point where, I mean, I mean, I, sometimes it's like, I mean, I didn't even wear Patriots. It, it, it's almost like you're, you, you afraid to say Patriots. And then of course, living in Arizona, I mean, I root for Arizona when the Patriots are playing, but living in Arizona, people are like, how are you a Patriots fan? I mean, I never I'm born and raised here and whatnot. I just, I don't know. It was just blaming on Drew Bledsoe, but, uh, you know, I just started liking them and freaking followed them. And they're the, they're the only team that I watch um, the only team that I care about. Um, I didn't even play my, you know, junior and senior year in football and in high school. And I mean, sophomore year is the last year I played. So, I mean, football wasn't even my favorite sport, but it is my favorite sport to watch. I mean, I yeah. just like it's because of the Patriots. And gosh, man, it was a good game. I can tell you that uh, I was not in a good mood. Um, I, my phone was almost dead. I know I texted you a few times and you're like, my phone's going to go dead. And you were like, it's, you know, it's not over. And I, and I just texted you, they need to turn Brady loose because they had some chicken crap game plan going on that wasn't working and they just needed to let that guy go and let him do his thing. And that's, I mean, Atlanta lost that game. They, they choked. You know, but also the Patriots, you know, did the little things that, that mattered and relate that to hunting. You know, you see so many people that, you know, just they want the fast track. They don't want to grind it out. They don't want to, you know, I just did a predator hunt the other day and we ended up taking first, me and my team, uh, my, my partner, Mike. And, you know, we've, we've hunted that for years and not that I'm freaking patriots but we've hunted that i think seven years in a row now we've never not placed in the top five a lot of people don't know that unless they they're around us and you know we don't talk crap and we're not the one that initiates side bets and everything and this year is the first full year i had a full saturday to hunt and we actually didn't do our best and we we ended up winning it um and we only called in 10 predators but we killed everything we did and it was a grind. And at the end of the day, we were both like, we didn't even feel like we did that good, but hunting's a grind. And just like going from that game, I think a lot of people just forget that they just, they want it quick and want it easy. And I always tell hunters when it's going bad, you know, cause some of them haven't been there or don't understand, or, you know, it's a grind and you never know when you're gl- going to glass up that big bull or, you know, call in a freaking lion or, you know, you just got to keep grinding at it and believing all the way till the very end, you know, and that's, I think that's the moral to the story. Whether you like the Patriots or you don't like the Patriots is don't hey, give bro. up, man. Yeah. Never give up. I, I, you know, I have to say, I heard an interview with the uh, coach of uh, Atlanta. I don't even know his name. Um, that's how little I pay attention to it. I thought he had a real classy response. I thought he handled it very, very well. I don't know if you saw the interview, but I, you know, I have to say I know nothing about the Atlanta organization other than Arthur Blank, the, you know, the owner, the Home Depot guy. Um, uh, he had an, you know, he he was very humble. 
Um, and I thought he stood right in the mic and, and answered the questions, you know, head on. And, um, you know, I say to him, hats off to him for his, his response to the loss, um, because it was theirs to lose and, and they did lose it, but I think the Patriots won it. Um, so it, you know, I, 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 it's both ways, right? Yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, my little it, nephew, it's not one or the other, my little nephew loves the Patriots and, and um, I, I knew you were getting joy out of it. So it just kind of made me smile. But it made me think of my own stuff that I've got going on and my businesses and different things. It's like, never give up, ever. You fight it out till the end. And, and you know, you said something that's interesting. Darn, I think a lot of times when we go down to Mexico, you know, we'll do these guided hunts and stuff. And we'll think, ah, we're, you know, we're grinding, 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 you know, shooting a few bucks here and there. And we're thinking, well, we're. You know, we're not doing that good and, you know, and and you just grind it out to the end and then you get back to the States and you realize, you know, you did pretty good. You know, you you, you, think, yeah. you don't think, oh, we're killing it. Oh, we're we're knocking them dead. Oh, we're but, you know, you just go out, you compete, you, you know, you push yourself and you do the best you can. And if you're sitting there at the time thinking, oh, we're knocking them dead, we're knocking them out of the park, then you know, you're probably going to get soft if you're out there continually grinding and never giving up. I think, you know, just go, 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 and then let it all stack out at the end of the year, you know, set all the trophies out on the table and see where you stack up. And, you know, sometimes you do, you know, you give your best and the, 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 uh, the success doesn't show. And sometimes you don't give it your best and you win first place. So, I mean, the reality is you just have to push yourself, and I, I thought it was an inspiring game, um, and, I, you know, it, it, it inspired me to just, just charge, 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 and, you know, fix bayonets and just go after it because, um, you know, they were down. They, I mean, they were out, and they came back and won it. So that was pretty awesome, I thought, just from a game I mean, the most story is, like, it always – it always, to me, hunting or it always, almost always feels like a grind. Unless I just get blessed and lucky and we, we kill something on the first day, you know, or two. But it, I mean, it always, it always, it, it's not, it's not all freaking highlights. Yeah. You know, it's not all, I get, so many people will see coyote stacked up or they'll see, you know, a big bull or, you know, or an antelope or what, whatever it may be. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're just killing it and killing it. And my, it's like you said, I mean, the mental game that goes into it, it, it's not all like that. If the camera was on me the entire time, people would be like, who is this dumbass?" And he, <laughs> why did he do that? You know what I mean? Because there's so many mistakes that I make or there's so many things that, you know, that happen or, you know, it, it's just, it's, but that doesn't get exposed. You know what I mean? The truth doesn't, you know, we all, you know, everybody, we don't, the audience doesn't want to watch that stuff. They don't want to hear about that stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't get likes. It doesn't get followers. Uh, you know, they, they want to, everybody wants to see the highlights. They want to see the trophy photos and they want to, you know, do all, all that. But then, so then when you get into it, 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 it really, and there is, don't get me wrong, I, sh I shouldn't say everybody because there's a majority of you guys that are listening that, that know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a 
grind. And, you know, sometimes it's the last day. Sometimes it's not any day at all. Sometimes you don't win, you know. And it's funny. I was going back to the game. I was ready to send a text or post on Facebook because I know there's people out there. That everybody knows I'm a Patriots fan. That Not by unpopular or anything like that. Just everybody that's around me. And I was ready. Third quarter, I was done. I was ready to post, you know, Atlanta, great game. Because Atlanta was kicking the Patriots' butt. I mean, they were winning. There was no excuses. There was no, oh, look at that hold. Or, man, they should have called more defensive holding penalties or blah, 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 blah. I was ready to lose and lose, you know, with dignity, I guess, if there is if there is that. And then, you know, it's, it's funny, at the end of the game, that I got my phone and, man, all I got was, all the refs handed it to him, all the flags, and here's my response. And you can take it for what you want, we can move on. But winners win and losers complain. And I'm not saying you always have to win to be a winner, but you always have to have that winning mentality because when winners lose, they shut their mouth and move forward. And that's just how I take it. You yeah, know, I when, mean, when winners lose, they get their mouthpiece knocked out and they put their – they brush their mouthpiece off on their shirt, they put their mouthpiece back in, and they get up, brush themselves off, and go back and get in the huddle. That's what they do. Um, let's move on. But I did want to say that catch by Edelman, and by the way, if he isn't the ultimate underdog, this this little white guy, I'm sorry, this little white guy that's running around the field and he's catching balls, That if that wasn't the most unbelievable catch i've just ever so seen people know there there are two main whiteouts edelman and uh and hogan hogan was a lacrosse player and edelman was a college quarterback so just yeah. just to put it in perspective what they're playing with i mean it's just was that all catch unbelievable just, was that the it was. concentration I mean, that was just, on that catch to bobble that ball with you know the arm in the other players i mean it, it was amazing it was an amazing it was just catch. All, it, just, it was just all effort. You know, most people would have just, you know, most wideouts would have just gave up. You know, it was just all effort. And, you know, there's only a handful of people that would have put in that effort, and that, that guy's one of them. You know, I mean, it takes a team to win a team sport, you know. So, well, anyway. Congrats to you, You better buddy. move on. Yeah, let's – um. The reason I wanted to talk to you today is I wanted to break down Unit 10 in Arizona – um on the elk and then at the end we'll talk a little bit about antelope in general in arizona but i wanted to break down unit 10 and uh unit 10 actually i had a tag the last elk tag i had in arizona was in 2005 in unit 10 and i've spent a couple other hunts in there since then but um, I, I, I feel like I know Unit 10 very, very well. I spent 30 days in there in 2001, 30 days in there in 2003, you know, about 25 days in there in 2005, and a, a handful of other hunts since then. Um, and it's a unit that, to me, is very dear to me uh, because I've had some great experiences up there. Um and I wanted to talk to you because you're you live in Kingman, Arizona, and it's a unit that you have spent an unbelievable amount of time, whether it's 
you know, archery, deer hunting, you know, elk hunting, antelope hunting, predator hunting. I mean, you know, unit 10 very, very well. And, and, um, you and uh, your guys at exclusive pursuit outfitters, um, guide in unit 10. So, um, I thought you would be the perfect guy to talk to about that. Um, I want to get your, we're going to go through the hunts, uh, but first and foremost, I wanted to talk to you about the September 15th through the 28th uh, archery dates this year with the full moon, the, excuse me, the dark moon uh, being on the 20th of September. Uh, last year, the archery hunt started on the 9th of September, and that's just, in my mind, early for really good bugling. I think these dates of the 15th through the 28th and with the moon being dark, I think it's going to be phenomenal timing uh, to have those archery dates. I wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, no, the archery dates, the 15th to the 28th, I mean, they're definitely better dates. In my opinion, the, the I mean, obviously the, the elk, how healthy they are, bull to cow ratio, determines the timing of the rut um the fatter the cows are it's been proven that uh you know there is data out there the fatter the the cow elk are the the better and more consistent timing um they're going to cycle so um you know you're going to get a better better rut activity and obviously um the later you know around that equinox is typically when you know the rut is more in full swing um, it seems like the rut has just diminished and gotten later year after year. But, you know, I don't know if it, it goes back to that, what we were just talking about. it. You get in and you hunt the archery elk hunt, and, you know, pretty soon you kind of become disaware of uh, or or you start com- trying to compare years past. And, um, you know, I, I it, it's definitely none of the units in Arizona, I think, are what they were back in the 2005 era. Um, especially unit 10. Um, uh, unit 10 obviously has great genetics. Um, the age class has been affected. Um, the bull to cow ratio has been affected. Um, been affected by what? It's been affected by too many bull elk tags. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're, we, they've killed too many bulls out of there. Um, and so um, the overall herd size is great. Um, but now we have a situation where, you know, and, and it's, uh, like a 30, 28 to 30, uh, bulls to every hundred cows where it's supposed to be 40 plus. So, um, this year, not only are the dates in prime time, it's the lowest tag numbers we've seen in unit 10 on most of the hunts and specifically the archery hunt that we've seen in some years. Um, since I'm on Go Hunt Insiders deal and uh, for on their unit profile, and 2012 was the first year that they put in 200 tags. And if you guys don't know this, there's 100 tags only this year in Unit 10, as well as now there is no early archery cow elk hunt. So the pressure is going to be as low as it's been in years so um 
I would. So I Craig, would love, you have that pulled up in front of you, and you're saying I, in in 2012 it was 200. And if 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 I don't I don't have that portion of it pulled up in front of me, but I believe it went 200, 200, and then then it went 150, 150, and now we're down to 100. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and so, but they also had some cow tags running simultaneously. So what? What you're saying is, and I'm looking at the regs too, the archery hunt is September 15th to the 28th, and there's only 100 bull tags. There's no cow tags at that time frame. So from a pressure situation compared to the last, say, four, five, six years, uh, the pressure is going to be way less during that 14 days than it's been in a long, long time. I can remember in 05 when I drew, I think there was only 100 tags back then, and I don't believe there was any cow tags. If there was, there was very few, maybe 20 or 25. Um, so f- you're saying from a people standpoint and interactions with other hunters and pressure on the animals, this is going to be about as good as you've seen it in a long, long time? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's just the tag numbers. I mean, and, and also no cow hunters, you know, cause the elk don't, they don't know if it's a, they don't care if it's a bull or cow hunter, you know, when you're getting in there, usually the cow hunters can be worse cause they're hunting the better bulls with the cows, you know? Yeah. So you're getting a lot of pressure. And so I, I, I mean, unit 10, as far as that goes, is going to be as good as it's been in a long time. Um, you know, uh, I, I hope it continues. I had a good discussion with Noah, the, the, the wildlife officer actually at the SDI show. Um, and he's like, how do you like it? And, and their biggest thing for reducing the tags was the bull to cow ratio. And I noticed that they've also pumped up the, the late cow hunts. I think there's 750 cow tags, October 20th through the 26th. And then there's 800 cow tags that to December 8th through the 17th. So it sounds like they're trying to, uh, diminish the harvest on the bulls and, and, and increase the harvest on the cows to make up for that. Yeah. That, I mean, they're definitely going to increase them a little bit. I know he said they didn't want to increase it too much, but they definitely, I mean, by adding those in there, anytime they pump up a bunch of tags like that, it's going to decrease its success rate though. You know, so they, you know what I mean? Cause it's just more hunters in there. They're going to get an increased volume of hunters. So that overall they might take more, but the success rate's going to go down. Um, you know, most of yeah, the they time. They may kill more animals, but the success rate, per the amount of hunters in the field talking about the cow hunts is going to go down. Yes. And so My I, thing I, in unit 10 is, is, you know, they, uh, they had 500 late elk, late bull hunts on the rifle hunt for many years and they've dropped it down to 400 this year. So that, you know, they've dropped it. Um, I think they've been shooting too many late bulls. But I think the thing that might have taken the the quality right off the top was for years they were running 20 to 25 early rifle tags. And then they ran, they put the 100 100 for a few years during the early rifle hunt. So when you have, you know, 80 and 90 percent success rates shooting 80 and 90 bulls with a rifle during the rut when they're bugling. And at their most vulnerable stage, you're going to just suck the, the top end bulls, the upper age class bulls right off the top. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's those early rifle hunts. They're you know, depending on what 2010. I'm looking at this on Go Hunt Insider. In 2010, they had 50 tags, and that's right before they started ramping them up even more. And in 2010, they had 90 percent success rate. So you know, they they had what you bulls. know, 45 bulls taken, and um, in 2011, it dropped down to 82%, and then there was a pretty big down swing. In 2014, it was 69. 2015, it was 73%. Um, and yeah, then they, but just, they raised up, that was when they raised it up to 100. They raised the tax, yeah. So you're you're still you're increasing, yeah. Your percentage is going down because you know now depending on who draws, you got on those early rifle hunts. Guys are being pretty. A majority of people are being selective. Um, and so they may or may not see what they want to sh- shoot, but on the same token, you're adding more permits. So that's why that percentage is going down because, you know, it's more pressure. The animals are going to seclude themselves even more and man, they're just knocking the top end out, you know, and, and this year it's down to 40 last year, I believe it was 40 as well. Um, you know, I, I would like to see that number 20. Um, my, that's just myself. Um, I, I think, you know, they're heading in the right direction. Uh, I love, they've got to get back to managing that as an alternative management unit, like their, you know, like their, um, uh, basically their long-term five-year or whatever strategy says, um, because it's, it's, it's just, it's an awesome unit, you know, um, Half of that unit is the Big Bow Ranch, um, and then you got Kaibab National Forest, and then you have the Sevens Ranch, which is subdivided, and then you have Babbitts, and then you have a group of uh, intermixed private ranches on the northeast side. But, you know, a big portion of that's the Big Bow and then the National Forest. Um, and, and Craig, on- let, me, let, me, let me stop you here for just a second. And break down a little bit of the geography of Unit 10, which you already did in saying that it does have private land holdings, some of which are completely private and and the public cannot access. And then the biggest ranch of all is the Big Bow Ranch. Uh, And you can go to huntbigbowranch.com and see all the ranch rules. But they have allowed uh, public to hunt. And I believe you have to pay an $80 uh, permit fee to go hunt and you have full access of the ranch but there are some ranch rules there is also some forest on the south end but ge- uh, geographically it's kind of a triangle shaped unit with the the most broad from east to west section of the unit is on the south end and as you go to the north it kind of goes into a tip of a triangle if you will and it borders up there on that on the north it borders kind of the the, the, up there by the Supai Reservation, all along that uh, uh, west side is the Wallapai Reservation. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, the borders of Unit 10, I believe, are Route 66 that basically run kind of along that Seligman, um, you know, on that Crookton exit there north of I-10, uh, I-40. Um, and then it runs all the way up uh, kind of on that highway from uh, Williams up to valley uh and then everything west of that over to the wallapai reservation is that correct yeah that's pretty much the gist of it 
mean. And Unit 10 in general is a big unit. It's one of Arizona's biggest units. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it's actually the biggest. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 a giant unit. It's you know there's 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 big open flats to you know basically pinion juniper country. You know with there's a lot of glassing points in it compared to uh, unit nine. Um, yeah, and and which I is think a little different. I get questions all the time. People saying, "Well, should I put in for nine or 10? And and while we're here, I think we ought to discuss it a little bit. I think you hit the nail on the head. Unit 10 is configured mostly down in the southeast portion of the unit uh, in the Kaibab National Forest. There are some pine trees kind of in that Ash Fork Williams kind of corner. There are some pine trees, but I would say 95% of the unit is pinion juniper country into open flats and plains. Um, and but, but what Unit 10 is notorious for, and one of the reasons... I, I've liked it so much and, and, you know, put in for my tag there in 2005 is there's a ton of little like Malapai rock knobs that you can get up on throughout the whole unit where you can actually get really good vantage. Whereas in unit nine, you have way less, you still have a few knobs and a few high points to get up to get good vantage and glass from. But Unit 10 is one of the best glassing units, uh, I think, in all of our elk units or antelope units in the state. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think in Unit 9, the difference is, too, is those glassing points are usually pretty crowded. And so it's in Unit 10, it can't, may or may not be the elk are dispersed, you know, kind of unevenly all over. So really... Um, uh, scouting is critical because it changes from year to year. They may be five, ten miles different herds from where they were the previous year, depending on rainfall and stuff. And the and the glassing points, it just gives you a lot more to to choose from. Whereas in Unit Nine, in my opinion, is I mean, a lot of big bulls are taken off water, um, yeah. especially with trail cameras today. And there's a ton of trail cameras. And then in Unit 9, you know, if you have a good rut, it can be an awesome hunt. But if the rut is poor, it can be a very, very frustrating hunt. Uh, I mean, is that your opinion? Yeah, I mean, for us guides and guys that have hunted Unit 9 and 10 a lot, our best chance of finding a big bull, or excuse me, of killing a big bull is to find it first. And so... We've all, Dara and I have always relied on our eyes. So typically wherever we're at hunting elk, we want to go someplace where we can glass. And if we can put our eyes on a bull and find a bull, then we can go in and try and pursue that bull. Whereas a lot of country, a lot of units, and and honestly, a lot of states across the West, if you're talking thick Ponderosa Pines, uh, and you're just basically chasing bugles, while that can be a fun way to elk hunt, and it's a way that, that is, is a lot of people, that's their only way to do it. We feel like if you're trying to find a big bull, you got to be able to put your eyes on him because your level of efficiency goes way up if you can get up on high points and be able to glass and see them, rather than it becomes a numbers game of chasing them in the brush 
uh, chasing them in the pines, chasing them in the you know junipers, and you're just chasing bugles. Well, you may be only able to look at five or six bulls, you know, because of of you know them calling, them bugling. You know, you're subject to them. If they're not bugling well, it's harder to get on bulls. Where if you can get up on a high knob, you could see 15 or 20 or 25 bulls or more from one high point, and 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 move much more efficiently throughout your hunt by just trying to find the bull first. Then once you find it, then figure out how to kill it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people really like unit 10. I know it's why I like unit 10 is because it does have thick areas of pinion juniper, but when you get elevated three, four, five, six, seven hundred feet up in the air, you can then look down into those juniper pockets and see a lot of elk and see a lot of bulls and it you know it it's it sharpens your curve up a little bit as far as okay there's a big one let's isolate and let's try and you know focus on that bull whereas That's why if that you were late just hunt it's so good too you know compared to a lot yeah. of other units the only thing I would say, and I, I'm curious about your thoughts on the Unit 10 late hunt. Um, you know, they they dropped it to 400 um, tags, and of course they have some late archery tags. They have 35 bull tags, 25 cow tags. They have a muzzy, a muzzleloader uh, elk hunt this year, 75 tags, November 10th through the 16th. The only thing I would say about the late hunt in Unit 10 is, yes, you can get up high in glass. But sometimes it's a challenge because you're up on these cone knobs and you can see the bull, but he's a mile and a half out yeah. out in the flats. And once you get down level with that bull and he's not bugling, which they're very rarely bugling on the late hunt, they become hard to kill. Where as a unit like 27 uh, or 23 or 22 for a late hunt, so to speak, where you have good glassing, but you're also glassing across canyons where you don't have to move very far to get into position to 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 shoot that animal. In unit ten, I think one of the one of the hard parts is yeah, you can see them a lot of times right at first light or last light coming out into an opening, but being able to get down on that flat level with them in the pinion juniper and get them killed sometimes can be tough. Yeah, it, it absolutely, I mean, it can. The other thing about the late rifle hunt is they did move it. It's not around Thanksgiving. It's after Thanksgiving, which is different. Um, I don't know if a lot of people saw that. Um, yeah, December but, 1st, start yeah, date, starts 1st through the 7th. December 1st. Um, and going back to the muzzleloader hunt, um, that muzzleloader hunt has been, uh, you can catch, it seems like, those three and a half to five and a half year old bulls, um, some of them will still be trying to catch that last cow cycling that missed for the third time that maybe didn't cycle right um, or didn't get bred in late September or early October. Sometimes they'll come in again, or I've noticed that over the last couple of years. So you'll actually see a little bit a bugling action i think on both those hunts on the muzzleloader and the late rifle hunt you know you hear a lot of people talking about 350 350 350 in in reality a 350 is a tank of a bull on those hunts 
Um, it's a great bull on the archery hunt nowadays, um, but it's a tank of a bull on those hunts. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I know for us, we always, we love to try to hit that 350 mark. That's like, I mean, that to me is when you start getting into those bigger bulls. When you hold a 350, it's a big bull. But a 300 to a 340 is still a, I mean, it's a quality animal for that, for those hunts. You know, I mean, by the time you take account breakage, which we had a lot of last year, um, bulls that have been shot, the time of year, you know, on the muzzleloader hunt, you're limited, you know, to, to the weapon of what it can do. Um, don't, don't be expecting, although there is a few, you know, 360 plus bulls that are taken every year, that's not the norm and it doesn't happen every year, you know? Um, so Let's just talk about that. Uh, uh, you're talking about hunters expectations and y you know, I, I talk to hunters every day, get emails from hunters every day as, as do you. And these guys have been waiting, you know, 15, 18, 20, 22 years to draw their Arizona elk tag. And they've been reading and watching all the content that's been coming out for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. And, you know, they're taking information from back in 2005 and three and four and, you know, uh, the, the, the overall quality has declined. And so it's hard for these guys that have had 18, 19, 20, 22 points to really get it in their head that yes, you've waited this long. Yes. You've seen, you know, great bulls get killed over the years and there still is opportunity to shoot great bulls, but Right now, Arizona elk quality is not what it used to be. And Absolutely. even though I've said it on a bunch of podcasts already, I, I, I've talked to everybody I can, there's still the guys that have eight. It seems like the 17 points and more guys, they can't seem to get it in their head that they, they feel like, well, I've put in for 20 years, so I deserve a 380 bull. Well, that may be true. The reality is you've just put in for 18 or 20 years, and you deserve a tag because you've been waiting. But that doesn't have anything to do with the quality of bull that you should get because of the amount of points you have. Does that yeah, make sense to you? I mean, it's... it's no, no, it absolutely... It, it abs I mean, it is... It's the truth. And I mean, it goes for Unit 9 as well, you know? I mean... I hunted there two years ago, and the biggest bull I saw was 370 to 375 in, you know, 20-something days of hunting and scouting. And, you know, I mean, and and that's 350 is a big bull, especially for people that haven't killed one. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to lower everybody's, you know, or, or take the wind out of everybody's sails, but, you know, it, it, it's just, it's the truth. And, you know, a 370 bull is, is a lot harder to kill than it was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And, you know, and also, you know, there is more outfitters. The, the DIY hunters are more proficient. You know, so a lot of these bulls, I mean, there's the they don't technology. Stand a chance. You know, yeah. I mean, we are, we're affecting the overall quality. And, and you know, so it's, it's harder. It's more competitive on public land. You know, um, it's 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 pretty crazy you know the the gap is closing between you know 
everybody as hunters because of the, all the information's out there and you know we get technology so much faster and a lot more guys are glassing you know um uh, and learning and becoming better hunters and it's just tougher you know i mean i'm not making excuses i'm not i'm just saying well i think with the harder, mapping programs you know? people getting better at hunting and 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 you know Google there's Earth. more there's more roads out there. There's more ways to get around Google Earth. I mean, people are just flat out getting better and, uh, you know, it, using tactics to kill these bulls that, you know, the elk are getting where they're, you know, they don't stand as much of a chance. And so, the, but then you, you, you get that hunters are doing better, but you also throw in the amount of tags that they've been pressuring a lot exactly. of these units across the state of Arizona, the age class is going to flat come down. So, you know, yep. we, we, we've, we've, we've covered that pretty well. Um, I want to ask you specifically, uh, the, the archery hunt, we've already talked about great dates. Uh, we've talked about only a hundred tags. You feel like from a quality of hunt standpoint, that could be as good as that archery hunt's been in a, in a long time from strictly a quality of hunt, not talking about size of bull, but quality of hunt, correct? Absolutely. I mean, freaking a okay. hunter tags, no other cow hunters, you know, I mean. And then the early rifle hunt, September 29th through October 5th, my idea on those dates are the elk will probably be screaming their guts out. I'm betting that the rut will probably be pretty intense because of, you know, good moisture. The cows, you know, fat and sassy. I'm worried a little bit about broken antlers on the early rifle hunt. I'm curious what your thought is on that. I think, okay, we're going to get into some rainfall stuff. And um, I think. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be as good as it can be as far as the peak of the rut. They're going to be hopefully bugling as good as they, you know, possibly will. Um, there's 40 tags. So, you know, I think that's 20 more than I personally would like it if I had the tag. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's still going to be awesome. It depends on what our three hunters draw, where they hunt, how many bulls they, you know, are successful out, how good the rut is early because, if the rut's good early or if we get, um, with a big bow, you can't sit water, but on some of the other places, a lot of guys sit water. If it's dry, um, it, that can be an effective tactic. But if the rut's stronger in the archery hunt, you're, you're probably going to have some, some of the bigger bulls that are taken. Not that there's not any left over. Um, going back to breakage last year, my, my opinion, last year breakage was horrible, um, on that hunt. A lot of bulls broke that second week of the archery elk hunt. Um, and we're talking beams and, you know, multiple tines. And it just seemed like every bull that I looked at that was over 350 was broke. You know, Why did they uh, break? They, they tend to break in Unit 10, and they always have broken up pretty good. Why do you think that is? I, I think the antlers were a little bit less dense. Um, and I think maybe some cows all popped in at the same time. Um, we had a real sporadic monsoon. Um, so I think a lot of the elk were congregated around some of the water sources and feed. You, like you would go, it was weird because one mile would be as green as you've ever seen it, that one mile stretch. But then the 10 or, you know, let's say five miles around that area would be as dry as you've ever seen it. So I think the elk were really congregated. Um, and I think when those cows did come in, those bulls fought 
you know, and you know as well as I do, it like happens one night in or the or two nights, and it's like holy crap, you know. Um, so I think I think the antler growth was uh, subpar. I don't think it was horrible. It's just my opinion, um, but I think it was a little bit subpar. We had a had a pretty good January. February was bone dry. Most of March was bone dry, and then we tried to play catch up in April and May of last year with a little bit of precipitation. But right now, those bull, bigger bulls are starting to drop, um, and they'll drop through through mid-March, the bigger bulls, typically. And so, uh, you know, that that green feed from February to the beginning of April is critical. And, yeah, we got showers in April, but... You're talking period, about last season. I'm talking about last season. So that, that yeah. period from February to, you know, the beginning of April was pretty dry, was actually really dry. Um, and I don't, and, and this year's a little bit different. Um, I've got some data here, um, that I've looked up and I'm not freaking pump and go hunt insider. Like I'm not because they sponsor the podcast or whatever. I'm not affiliated with go hunt or go hunt insider at all other than I'm a member. Um, and they've got a lot of good quick information. They've got a historical precipitation chart which, you know, they could add some more stuff to it, but it's it's a great, good, quick resource. And I'm looking at, when I'm on the phone with clients, I use their draw odds now, and I have all their, it's, I mean, their applications, their harvest success. I mean, it's good stuff if you haven't been on there. Um, but I'm looking at some other data. We've had December and January have been extremely wet in Arizona this year. Um, extremely Last year, we did not have a wet December. It was fairly dry. Um, and this year, we in Unit 10, according to Go Hunt, we've had 2.7 inches of precipitation in December. And we don't have the data out for January uh, yet because uh, it just finished up on Go Hunt's deal. But the previous December, so December of 2015, we didn't even get an inch of overall precipitation in unit 10. So there was, there's basically two inches difference. Plus we're right now I'm pulling up the data for the, uh, from the state climate office and it's showing from December 7th through February 4th. Much of Arizona is Northern Arizona. The elk units are from, 150 to 400% of their average precipitation for that time period. So that means they're, they're 50 to 300% above what the average is. Um, unit 10 is running in the 150 to 400. There's a good swath that's in that 150 to 200 in the middle section. Um, and then on the western and eastern side, um, it's 200 to 400%. Um, okay, tell me how how does that relate to elk antlers that are being dropped and that will be growing here uh, uh, soon? And how does that translate from, from your experience? How does that translate in looking forward into this 2017 season? 
Okay, bottom line is the ground is going to be super saturated. Um, we did get snow with this. Um, we have had a few days of warm-up. So basically the ground is super saturated. You can even get around in some of these areas over the last few weeks because the ground, the, the, it's just freaking boggy and wet. So what that equates to for guys that are listening, it equates to if it warms up in February here, which is going to, we're going to have that feed's going to start coming up. The browse is going to be good. And even if we get a subpar February and if we get just an average March, I think it's going to be an average to above average antler growth year because we're going to have the nutrients for those animals from the feed, from the moisture. Does that make sense? Explain to me why it's important for elk to drop their antlers and for their the ground to be wet and for it to kind of be a, a warmer February and warmer March. Explain to me why green feed is important in a in an elk's nutrition creating antlers. Those bulls are recovering. They need the more green or or highly uh, I don't know how to use the terminology. That sound like a dumbass, but uh, the more nutrient filled feed that they can get from the browse cliff rows from any of the green up uh as far as any of the you know uh spring grass that comes up the earlier the better because i mean it's just like it's just like lifting weights for us um if you lift weights and or you train and you're on a good diet you're going to get better results than if you're eating twinkies um and so and, it's and the i've same always theory. been i've always been taught that if 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 the elk are fleshy and their bodies are in good condition, and this goes for elk, deer, uh, you know, all of the ungulates, if they're fleshy and their body is in good position, then they can pour on the necessity into their antlers because their bodies are in good condition. If their bodies are in poor condition, they can't pour it into their antlers until their body gets in good condition. In other words, if they're feeling good, if they're fleshy, if they're getting all of the nutrition that they need, then they'll grow good antlers. If they have to struggle and paw through the snow and it's super cold and their bodies are poor, they're going to grow smaller antlers. It, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of the things where Arizona has that advantage and other than like the White Mountains and some of the rim country, you know, we do have some areas that have a lot of snow, but if February warms up, Unit 10 is it is had snow, but you know, it's it's kind of higher more it's it's kind of lower elevation country, 5500 foot to 6500 foot versus some of the other units that maybe a 7000 foot um so, so it it doesn't have the snow pack. It doesn't have the impacts of per se like a Unit 1 that could be under, you know, 40 inches of snow for a while. Um, but that warm-up's going to help Unit 1 because it's, I mean, it's, it, February looks like it's going to be pretty warm. Um, so that's going to melt off that snow fairly quickly. And the ground's been already pre-saturated because December was, was already wet. We were having a hard time in our early January deer hunts getting around before we got some of the big storms in late January. So, um it, I just those elk are going to be fat, like you said. The nutrition is going to go to their antlers, 
Um, it's the same theory as why high fence people um, or people you know that are hunting whitetail, um, why they want good nutrition for those animals because the more nutrient filled feed and the better shape they are going into those antler growth periods, the bigger antlers that they're going to have for their genetic uh, structure. So they're basically going to hopefully max out their potential um, versus on a poor antler growth year where you don't have those nutrients, they don't have those fat reserves, they're going to go into basically some sort of, you know, basically like starvation mode to where those nutrients don't go to those antlers, they go to their body and survival. So, Good stuff. Craig, I, I want to take a quick break here, and I want to talk about uh, the three sponsors of my podcast. And GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of the podcast. And you just were talking about, um, you were a big skeptic of GoHunt.com Insider when it first came out. And I've talked to you over the years. And now I hear you saying that you're using it when you're talking to your hunters. You're using it as a resource. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they sponsor my podcast. I will tell you that. Uh, last month of January was the highest uh, a, a month that I've had as far as J. Scott Outdoors podcast users using the J. Scott promo code with Gohan Insider for signups. And uh, Lorenzo and his crew, Chris Porter and Brady Miller and the whole crew at Gohan, they keep me posted on uh, the amount of signups that people use the J. Scott promo code. With that promo code, you get a $50 Kuyu gift card immediately sent to you uh, electronically from Gohan Insider when you sign up for a membership. But I, I would agree with you, and I have gotten a lot of feedback from some of my buddies, including yourself, that when Gohan Insider first came out, you, were ex you yourself were ex extremely skeptical about that. But I have been hearing how the tide has been changing uh, over this last season in the last couple months with all of the, the, the new draw odds and some of the statistical data on the insider. Um, and I just heard you say that you use it all the time. Um, you know, to me, that makes me smile knowing that I, I knew Gohan Insider and, and some of the things that they have coming in the future that I know about, it's a phenomenal resource. So I just want to uh, thank Gohan Insider for their sponsorship of this podcast. I want to encourage the listeners to, to use it uh, when they're putting in for all of these western states. Uh, they, with New Mexico coming up, they are going to have all the exact data for the non-resident odds uh, for all the different hunts, which nobody's really ever done before, um, and be able to break down each hunt. Uh, but I know what Gohan Insider is doing is working. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys to go check it out. Use the J. Scott promo code. Uh, get a $50 Kuyu gift card. Who doesn't like having a, having more Kuyu? And um, also, uh, phonescope.com. Uh, Cheston Davis and his crew, uh, they, they've gotten into Walmart. Um, they've gotten into Sportsman's Warehouse. I saw Cheston at the SCI convention, and Phonescope.com uh, is just doing phenomenal. Uh, their sales are, are unbelievable. They make digiscoping adapters, so they, they adapt uh, spotting scopes and binoculars 
to the phone and any phone they pride themselves on any phone any any optic they can combine the two so you can take photos and videos uh, of your hunts and of these animals uh, use the J Scott 16 promo code and get a 10% discount and I'd also like to thank the outdoorsman's uh, you can go on outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065. Outdoorsmans is the uh, optics authority. And Cody Nelson and his crew, we just did a, a live podcast, Darn, I did from SCI with Cody and his crew. And they had just a bang-up uh, session there at SCI and um, I believe had a, had a record turnout of sales uh, there at SCI. And they are the optics authority. And if you use the J. Scott uh, promo code, either when you go into the shop, when you call on the telephone or on Outdoorsmans.com, you get a 10% off on those products. And I want to thank those sponsors for uh, sponsoring uh, my podcast. Craig, I I, want to talk to you real fast about Unit 10 as far as we've talked about you know, moisture. We've talked about antler growth. We've talked about some of the different hunts in Unit 10. We've talked about public versus private, but I wanted to point something out. You uh, and your group at Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, you have uh, private land opportunities in Unit 10. And I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the the hunting on the private land versus the hunting on the public. I can only tell you what the the public land hunting is. You can tell us what the private land opportunities are. For me, one of the things that I see as a benefit and over the years when I've hunted in unit 10 and looked across the fence it seems as the pressure mounts, the, the, the elk congregate on private, even though the, the, the hunting on the, the public access areas, even on the big bokeas, uh, even on the forest or what have you, can still be phenomenal. Some of these private land holdings that are totally private, I have seen it firsthand where these elk pile in and congregate on these private areas. During the rut, to me, it seems like, you know, just a bugling frenzy uh, with 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 just a few hunters. And then that that's one positive that I see. And then I also see some benefit to some of these late hunts, even like the muzzy hunt, uh, the late archery, where you you have the ability to hunt some of these elk and be, you know, one or two or three of the only people chasing these elk on the private land where you take the same amount, hunt them out on the quote unquote public and, and the, uh, you know, the interaction with people is obviously greater. What's your thoughts on your private land leases that you have? Uh, you know, hunting public versus private, um, I've guided on private, I've guided on public. I've only hunted for myself on on public and you know the biggest difference is i heard chris denham say at one time is you actually it's you against the animal versus you against the animal and four other guys um if you have the opportunity to hunt on private um it's one of those things where you kind of gotta you kind of gotta weigh your weigh your options and what you can afford and what you want out of a hunt 
But that's the biggest difference, you know, as far as quality on private versus public where we're at, it's, it's pretty much the same, you know, as far as quality of size, top ends the same, you know, depending from year to year. I mean, one year, it may be 380, the next year, it may be 415, you know, um, and, and, but the, the advantage is really comes into play. It's, it, it's, you can leave a bull, you can leave whatever and, and come back to it. And, and more than likely than not, you know, you can hunt that bull systematically versus when you're hunting on public, you know, you, you always have that in the back of your mind, you know, you got a big bull found or whatever. And you're like, man, I gotta, we gotta beat somebody in there. or We hope they didn't bump them or you come back and you can't find them. Well, what you didn't know is somebody walked through there, you know, bugling and, and bumped all the elk or, you know what I mean? So that's the biggest advantage. You know, it's still hunting. Um, the, the elk are, are, it's not like they're tame elk or anything. I mean, that you still have to be skillful. You still have to, um, take all the, all the general principles that make you successful on public land and transform it over on the private land. But the biggest advantage is just the pressure and the, the ability to kind of relax and, and go, okay, I got a big bull found. We're going to hunt him. And, you know, more than likely than not, unless he leaves or, or, you know, breaks or something like that, that we're going to get our opportunities if we play our cards right. Versus on public, you know, as well as I do, it, man, you got to get a little lucky, you know, or a lot lucky. And then based on where everybody is hunting or who's there, I mean, you're not hunting. It's not true hunting where you're hunting you against the animal. You're, especially with the tag numbers that we've seen, um, it's, it's really you hunting against other people. Um, as well as management yeah it is it is and it's that's that's a tough thing to swallow when you waited a long time um i go back to people the the utah hunt that i had in 2013 and i was only non-resident to draw on the monroe that year and then there was like six or seven other people and you know i kept looking asking my dad and i kept checking the my gps i kept checking the maps like am i in the right unit because literally I had no competition uh, or, you know, minimal. I didn't see anybody. And you know as well as I do, whenever you get in those situations, that's kind of how it used to be, you know, in Unit 10 all over 15, 20 years ago when there was low tag numbers. And, and even in Unit 9, but it, everywhere, it seems like there's people everywhere nowadays. You're holding your breath when you find something. I mean, to the point of it. You almost cannot find anything that's a secret anymore or it's secret for very long, you know, because information, word of mouth, and, the, you know, it seems like the stakes have just gotten raised so high that there's just literally people everywhere. And so I can tell you from, from my standpoint, that is the biggest difference between hunting private versus public is it's not the fact of, oh, there's giants over there and blah, 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 blah. It's the pressure and it's to be able to actually use your own skills and systematically go at an animal versus worrying about what everybody else is doing. 
and and you know that's that's the key and you know we all dream of those public land hunts where there's nobody and you know what i mean um and there's you you pinch yourself you're like how come there's nobody here and you know it just doesn't seem like that happens very often anymore you know um there's always seems like there's you're holding your breath and there's somebody and you know it's I had that happen with my wife this year and, you know, and we should have killed a big bull on a late hunt. And pretty soon the, you know, the troops come in and that bull is nowhere to be found. You know, I mean, he, he just, he went, he went dark on us and moved country. And it was all because, you know, we were playing a systematic game with him. Um, and I was really mindful of where I glass from and how I approached it and not to go in this area because I knew he'd come out over here. And then, but other people weren't, they just went and walked through the crap, you know, yeah. and spread their scent and they spread. And I can't control that on public. You know what I mean? And it is what it is, you know, and, and, uh, I, I am a public land guy, but on the same token, the more I hunt, the more I see the frustrations of, of it. But I know that's the game on public land, you know, and well, a mean, lot I... of people don't, a lot of people don't say that they don't realize how lucky you have to be, you know, on public land and versus private land. I think there's a lot more, you can control the game a lot more with your skill than you can on public land. You know, you can't control yeah, I mean, the game as much. I think it comes down to value. I think it comes down to if, if you value, uh, less people and you value having an opportunity to hunt an elk and maybe leave it and you're trophy hunting and you're looking for a certain bull, you can leave a bull knowing that you can come back and probably he's not going to be pressured. So he's going to be right there. You can hunt for three or four or five days and come back and maybe harvest that bull looking for a better bull. And sometimes those opportunities on public aren't that way. One of the challenges when you're hunting public is you come back you know, you've hunted three or four days, you come back to hunt that bull that you passed on the first or second day. You don't know if it's on a, in the back of a pickup on the way back to Ohio or not. I mean, you really yeah. don't know. I think that's the value proposition. Yeah, and you rush it and you end up shooting something because you're, you know, you know your fellow fellow man, fellow hunter is probably going to shoot that bull the first opportunity they get. So I think that's the value proposition of private land um and love it or hate it uh that that's a discussion for a whole nother day but it is what it is and i think there's some serious value um i've hunted public and private uh for a long long time and the value of private is uh having the ability to have less people around you and and that's basically what it comes down to yep absolutely Um, I, I want to finish our discussion on elk in Unit 10 with this, and then I want to move uh, quickly into antelope and get get some uh, thoughts from you on antelope. But in Unit 10, to me, people ask me to compare Unit 10 and Unit 9. In general, Unit uh, 10 seem to have longer main beams and seem to have bigger back ends, but they seem to have thinner antlers and they seem their antlers seem to be lighter colored, a lot, lot, um, a lot lighter colored than Unit 9, and I think that's a lot to do with the pinion juniper uh, country that they live in. But Unit 10 is known for big back ends. 
Uh, Unit 9 is known for heavier bulls. I just want to get your take on antler configuration, uh, general themes of of your ideas of what separates Unit 10 from 9 as far as differences. You know, it it seems like Unit, and I know there's been some big non-typicals killed out of 10, but it seems like Unit 9 always has a few of those just big, gnarly non-typicals. You know, um, seems like Unit 10 has less of those. Um, like you said, they generally, you know, you can get some wider bulls in Unit 10 with some bigger back ends. Kind of that same. They're usually a lot lighter color, um, unless you're over by the Williams area. Um, they're, they're horns That's because are usually, of the pine trees, right? Yeah, the pines, the pinion pines up there in the Ponderosas. Um, but, yeah, it's basically a difference. Unit 10, I mean, used to have, Arizona used to have this reputation for little thirds, but it seems like I don't see that as much anymore um, as far as, you know, littler thirds. Um, I, I don't, maybe it's just me and where I've, where I've been hunting, but um seems like we've been getting, you know, a lot of bulls with that, you know, 13, 14, 15, up to, you know, 18-inch thirds. You know, whereas it used to have a reputation of it seemed like of having, you know, those those eight inch thirds, you know, um, that always seem to kill a big old bull. But uh, on a, on a good handler growth year, like hopefully we're going to have this year, um, it can produce some of those giant back ends that we all love. Not that Unit Nine can't. Um, obviously, it produces its own big bulls, but it just it it really seems like. And there's a crossover there. A lot of guys don't understand. There's a big flat. Um, on the border of Unit 9 and then the Cataract Canyon. But that big flat, those bulls, and they go back and forth. You know, some bulls will grow in Unit 9 and some bulls will grow in Unit 10. And they may take a 30-mile hike, you know, before and after that rut. So a bull that's growing in in the, you know, southeast side of or southwest side of Unit 9 might end up over in Unit 10 and a bull that's over in on the east side of 10 or on the central side of 10 might end up in unit nine. You know, um, yeah, there is a of, lot of movement. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't re- realize and understand as we've talked about it before. A lot of trail camera picks of velvet bulls will be in 10 and they'll end up in nine. A lot of velvet bulls that, that summer in nine will end up in 10. And I know Lee had killed a big giant bull years ago on, uh, one of the private leases uh, that you guys have uh, that, you know, summered the whole time in unit uh, in unit nine and ended up getting killed in unit 10. Um, uh, or, or actually, I think that bull was way north in unit 10 summering and ended up way south in unit 10 getting killed. So, I mean, th- those elk can move 15 to 20 miles um you know one thing i'll point out and then we'll get on to antelope is like the late rifle hunt i'm looking at the go hunt insider um and looking at non-residents uh the late rifle hunt in unit 10 uh last year nine points was a hundred percent draw um and if you look at the archery the late archery um statistics or let's take the muzzleloader, um, the muzzy hunt uh, in Unit 10 uh, last year was 13 points, was a guarantee on that November 10th through the November 16th uh, season. And if you want to see all the different odds, you can go and become a Go Hunt Insider member. Um, 
it it's it's I think Unit 10 is going to have a bang up year this year, but I think the quality is not what everybody expects it to be. If they can mm-hmm. keep the tag numbers, and I I, I kind of want to get your closing thoughts on Unit 10. If they can keep the tag numbers low for three or four years and keep the archery tag numbers at 100 and keep the early rifle numbers at 40, keep the late hunts down in that three 400 range, I think we could see a spike or a bump in quality in Unit 10 as far as antlers. I think the archery hunt in Unit 10 this year will be pretty darn good from just a people standpoint and quality of hunt i think there will be some people that put in for unit 10 that are disappointed that you know the top ends are you know the 350s 360s and and you know they're they're not the 390 400s like what they're expecting i think there will be a couple of big you know 390 400 bulls that that probably do get harvested one or two maybe um but the general consensus is you know a lot of 330 to 340 bulls and and if i was going into the archery hunt in unit 10 i would be saying you know 350 plus is my goal and if you go in with that mentality and that expectation i think you could have a fantastic hunt uh on that 100 tag archery hunt with a you know mentality of if i can kill a 350 plus bull um we're doing great your thoughts craig finishing on elk you know, I agree. I agree 100%. It's it's going to be a quality, a more quality hunt than we've seen, and it's going to take a few years. Um, do I ever think it's going to be like you know the years around 2005 and the late 90s? Uh, possibly not. I don't think you know with everything that we have today available. I don't know if we'll ever see that. But um, it definitely, if they, I, I I'm a big proponent of them keeping those tag numbers down, and I would. You know, it'd be awesome if we can see those late tags come down a little bit, uh, a little bit more, and, and see that that top end creep back up to that, or you know, that bottom end creep back up to that 360 type mark, and you know, get a few more more 380s out there. Um, it, it's definitely not a menu, and you're going to need to, you know pack a lunch if you want to kill a bull that's over you know 360 um 350 is it's going to be a great trophy um and you know that's just the truth of it okay good stuff uh, let's move on to antelope um in arizona and you know you you know more about antelope than i've ever even thought of um you, you like those antelope hunts. You do those antelope hunts. You've been around those antelope your whole life. Um, you really enjoy that hunt. Uh, you are guiding, you and Lee are guiding the auction tag holder um, uh, right now. Uh, and his, his tag will expire uh, the 14th of August. Um, so you guys have a vested interest in looking around for antelope across the state. I wanted to go over uh, maybe your top five or whatever, some of your top units of antelope and maybe just talk about, um, you know, compare and contrast the units a little bit. Um, so give the floor to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to sound like a snob, but I love big antelope. Small antelope are cool, but, you know, you see them all the time, so you kind of get a little bit numb to them. But if you ever walk up to just a big antelope, you know, 85 plus, you know, especially approaching the 90 inches, 
I mean, they, it's like walking up to a big old sheep. It's, it's really cool. It's big old black horns. Um, some of the units I prefer myself, um, I prefer some of the units with a little bit lower tag numbers. Cause I think, um, uh, unit 10 has the most tags. Um, I think they have, I think there's a hundred in there. Um, and rifle tags, we're talking about rifle now. Um, unit 10 has the most antelope and there's, there's a lot of antelope country, but that hunt's another hunt. It's really all the rifle antelope guys that are applying for rifle antelope. The points are really heavily weighted. I mean, I think some guys got 26 points. Um, and it's just, the point creep is just ridiculous. Um, I almost think the antelope or game fish needs to make uh, rifle antelope um, a once-in-a-lifetime draw, um, a little bit like sheep in Arizona. Um, that's just my opinion. I'll probably get some, some hate mail over that one. But, <laughs> uh, you know, cause, I mean, when you get, start getting 26 points with, I mean, several people with that number and a lot of people with, there's a lot of people with 20 or more points. And I hear every person saying man i've just waited forever blah blah and you know i want to kill an 85 or i want to kill a 90 and man good luck don't get me wrong um it's one of those deals where there's a lot of people that don't know antelope and antelope to me are the toughest animal to field judge um and that's my my personal opinion i think sheep is right there with them um out of the animals that i hunt um and they're, they're extremely hard to field judge. So guys that have waited a long time that are going to go on their own, most of the guys don't know what a big antelope is. Uh, I've seen it in the past where guys have sent me photos of big bucks, and they've thought they're just an average bucks. And I'm like, that thing is a tank, and vice versa, where they'll send me a photo of a buck, and it's an 80-incher, and they think it's 88 to 90, you know. Um, some of the units that I like, um, I do like Unit 10 just because it has the sheer numbers there. Um, last year, uh, we had a buck, uh, my hunter, that, that, that we were, had our sights on. We didn't get him killed because the hunting competition is high. If I was hunting with my wife or my daughter, um, I would not ever put them in a situation where it was so competitive. Um, if we had a big buck found and there was multiple people there, um, I would probably back out and just go hunt, um, relax. Um, and that's in, what I end up doing with my hunter is, you know, we, we didn't back out. The buck was shot out right from underneath us. Um, those guys got the buck, we lost and we, we sucked it up and we went and hunted and Cody killed just a nice buck, but he had an awesome time seeing over 70 bucks. You can see a lot of antelope. Killing an antelope is not that hard with a rifle. Um, it's it's fairly simple um, for the most part. The, the main thing is you're hunting against people. You know, going back to that public. You know, and the antelope are really in the wide open, so it can get very competitive on big bucks. And uh, I almost wish they'd split those into two separate weeks in unit 10, 50 and a fifty. Um, and I'll probably get hate mail for that just because I just, I don't like pressure packed hunts like that, especially for guys that have waited, you know, 
decades. You know, it just, I think it sucks. So I gravitate towards those lower units. Um, I love 18A. I like 18B. Um, I like 19B, um, 17A. I will tell you all those units have access issues um, where you're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to pound the hills. You're going to have to pound the country. You're going to have to scout your butt off because there's little pockets of antelope. There's little areas that you can access by walking in or not walking in. Um, you just have to really do your homework. But I'm not afraid to do that, so that's why I like those units. Um, unit 9, I think, being the later dates, um, is, is a unit that I really like. Um, I think there's 45 unit 9 tags. Um, yes, the antelope might be slightly smaller because it's getting antelope sheathed off in November in Arizona, so they lose the outer core. So come come uh, late September, early October, they're they're starting to shrink in its its small amount. You know, a big buck and and it's all different. A big buck that's eighty eight inches, he might only be eighty seven by the time that hunt comes because he's lost a little bit of mass because his horns are drying out. Um, so unit nine, I like unit nine. Um, you know, there's there's 5B North, 5A that are that are some popular units. I don't hunt those units as much. Um, what about I seven? Tend, seven, it's all right. Um, it's never I've it's never been a. I like Seven West for elk. Um, I've always that's one of my favorite units for elk. Um, I've just never been a big fan of unit seven antelope. I just haven't. I know there's big bucks in there. Um, if I, if I was a guy, I'd look in some of those pockets of trees, um, pop open Google earth and look for those, those little flat areas that are in the trees. Um, because that's where you're going to find a bigger buck, um, away from people. Um, and a lot of those big bucks that get killed in seven and eight, um, 6a that live in the in those little pockets of trees they're found by guys that find them when they're hunting other species and or guides and then they come back in and you know they got a they got a buck that they found that nobody else has found they have it to themselves um now i say that this podcast will probably make it popular and everybody will be hunting the trees and the guys that are out in the flats will have the big buck to themselves uh but uh so seven is not one of my favorite units um, I like 9, 10, 18A, 18B, 19B, um, and 17A and B. Um, 19A is okay. There's a lot of private property that historically was one of the best units in the world, best genetics. Um, there's, there's what, some challenges. What about 8? I do like unit 8. Um, I like, there was a big buck killed out of unit 8 last year. There was a big buck the previous year. I'm talking 88 plus. Um, so I think unit eight is kind of a sleeper unit. I think they ramped up the tag numbers in there a little bit. Um, I'll have to look, but I do like unit eight. Um, again, there's pockets of trees in there or po pockets of flats in the trees that, that could hold a big buck that maybe not very many people have, have found. Um, so those are kind of the units that I like. Um, I think the thing with antelope that a lot of guys, I want to stress this huge because everybody calls and wants to know where we have a big buck found. Like, 
you know, where should I apply? Where do you got it? And antelope get big quick, you know, three and a half to four and a half, they're reaching their potential. But a lot of it comes in speculatory, like a year and a half, two and a half, you might see a buck and then you make note of him, and then you got to come back and see what did he turn into, you know, at three and a half, four and a half years old. Um, but a lot of it's just scouting like that year because they can get so big so quick because, you know, their, their, their average, their longevity isn't like a, they don't even have the longevity usually of a sheep, you know where it's like 13, 14 years old or, or even 12 years old, you know, seven, eight, seven to 10 years old. They're pretty damn old. Um, okay. So I have a question for you. Why, yeah. because antelope can hit their peak at three and a half years old. Why is that important for hunters to know and understand and realize? Because a buck that may have just been a, 75 inch nothing buck the year before could be 85 this year um versus you know a sheep in that one year's time period or an elk more than likely you know an elk he could he may not be till he's eight and a half years old but he's reaching peak potential same for a sheep whereas an antelope he may just be he may just be a baby um, and is that also why antelope big antelope can spring up anywhere because in three yeah. and a half years, they could be a giant, and if they slip through the cracks here or there with the right genetics, all of a sudden, very, very quickly, you can have a monster. Boom. Yes. And that's why it's so important. It's so critical to scout because, you know, and, and granted, I've seen bucks stay big all the way until they're seven or eight, but then they usually start losing like a prong or something like that so they're not as big as they were when they're three and a half to five and a half but it it really is that simple you you have to get out and you have to look and you have to pound it but and and, and hunt the biggest available if you're looking for the best antelope let's say you draw uh let's say 19b 18a it doesn't matter um 5b it doesn't matter you go in there and you pound it if you want a big antelope and you kill the biggest available antelope that you can find. If that's what you're after, but you got to put time in and that buck, I mean that year it may be 85. The next year it might be 90. The next year it might be 82. So there's a big swing, you know? Um, and I know there's guys that put stats up and whatnot, but that's how I am. I like, okay, I get a client that puts in for, you know, I, we tend to put clients in for the units that we like the most. I mean, because we know them best and we feel like we have advantages. Just like I feel like, you know, that's where I apply for units that I have advantages in. So it's all about that advantage. If, if, if you know a unit very well, well, let's say a, a unit 4A, let's say a guy from Winslow or, you know, whatnot, knows unit 4a he should apply for unit 4a because it's on his home turf versus applying for a unit across the state now a non-resident that's where your advantage is going with a guide you're just going to have an advantage and if you don't i would suggest if you don't hire a guide um, i would suggest you know you get there a week early and just pound the heck out of it for a week and be ready to kill your buck on opening morning or if you don't find a buck that you know is the type of buck you want to kill, be ready to hunt the whole entire hunt. 
you know? So I, I find it, I think a lot of times we take out the home field advantage. Um, and I know non-residents don't have that and that's where they have to look at, you know, either hiring a guide or coming and put your time in. Cause you can't, you can only get lucky so many times coming from out of state. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Especially it, on a hunt it, like that. Yeah, it, it, it's it, you can only get lucky so many times. And so for, for other guys, I mean, home court advantage is huge. There's a reason why teams in the NFL play, you know, in the play, play the regular season to get home field advantage. So if you have the advantages in an area, you know, like the back of your hand, that might be the best unit for you to apply for, for, for antelope. You know, let's say, because – one of the things, guys just aren't hunting antelope a lot in Arizona. There's a lot of guys that just, they have no idea what a big antelope is. They think a buck with flared out prongs is a giant when it's that big, heavy buck that his horns curl in and he doesn't look that big to the regular, he doesn't look flashy, so to speak. And so, I mean, and shoot that flashy buck if that's what you want, but you might be disappointed on his score because he looks a lot bigger than what he really is. Because mass is king on antelope. You know, the mass measurements are huge. And if you can get a buck with seven-inch bases or, or, or you know, high sixes, um, he's probably going to be a lot bigger than that buck with, you know, five and seven-eighths or six-inch bases. Um, and, and a lot of guys just don't have the experience level to, to see that. So take take that home field advantage and, and – you know, in the play, that's what we do, and that's why we apply our hunters and ourselves for the units that we know better because we feel like we have that home field advantage, and sometimes that home field advantage is better than going to the best unit, per se, that somebody deems is the best, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. So you got to get it hard. That's um, awesome stuff there, Uh Awesome review there of, of Unit 10. Uh, awesome review of, of your take on Arizona antelope. Um, I want to encourage anybody that's out there listening uh, to follow Craig and his his uh, guiding uh, staff and partners there at Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters on Instagram. Uh, go to their website, exclusivepursuitoutfitters.com. Uh, follow Craig uh, at CraigSteelAZ on Instagram. Uh, Craig, I just appreciate your insight always. You're, uh, you know, one of the most requested people that I get on the podcast. And I think that's for a reason because you speak from the heart and uh, you, you just let her rip. And I appreciate that. And it was great seeing you uh, up in uh, Vegas at the SCI convention. I want to um, congratulate you guys for having a great over-the-counter uh, deer success this year and and then all your predator hunts at exclusive uh, uh, at uh, predator exclusives um, you guys I, I'm saying Craig Steele Arizona guide of the year with with uh, the giant elk you guys killed and, and antelope and all the different things that you and and then you know just go straight into shooting coyotes and you know, bobcats and chasing lions and all the stuff that you do. So I just want to hats off to you. I want to uh, let you go enjoy your Patriots win. Um, I know that for you, that's probably just sitting in a room and smiling and, and you're not really one to be calling and razzing your buddies on the phone. 
Um, but uh, yeah, never say never. Uh, we can all learn from what the Patriots did yesterday. And and um, so, yeah, thanks for being a friend to the podcast. Thanks for being a friend to Dar and I. And uh, I think you're a great ambassador for our uh, sport of hunting and, and uh, our tradition and, and pa- you know, our favorite pastime of hunting and keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, look forward to another podcast down the road here. All right, Jay. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Take care. God bless. All right. Bye-bye.